Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And for this episode of the pod, we are talking all things trades, whether that is the Suns looking ahead to the upcoming NBA trade deadline on Thursday, or for our G-rated segment, we're talking about trading one shitty Justice League movie for an actual good one. But uh, before we get into that, I wanted to give you an update on the call to action that I issued in our last episode of the pod on Thursday or on Friday. Um, We're coming at you a day late we normally have pods go up on Fridays and Mondays. Um, this one's going to be on a Tuesday. And the reason for that is I want to give a little bit more time for donations and also recover from the things that I promised if we reached a certain mark with our donations. So we, over the weekend, were able to raise $3,260 for the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum for Asians Advancing Justice, and for the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Um, So those donations were split across those three groups. And uh, I am really happy that we got that much money. You guys are amazing. I had said that I would do a quad shot if we got to 500. I said I would do two if we got to 1,000. We got to 3,000. You guys tripled it. So I'm going to need to think of some reward for tripling just even the most outlandish goal that I had said I didn't I had no idea what to expect so I set the bar at 1000 for a really big uh, goal for us and and we smashed that so thank you everyone who donated if you haven't donated you still have time um, you can just click on the link tree that is attached to this podcast in pretty much every forum and the three organizations are there and you can donate Um, but turning our attention to the Phoenix Suns Uh, Earlier this week, we got Cam Johnson's return on Sunday against the LeBron and AD-less Lakers, Um, and he looked good in his first game since March 2nd. He only missed like six games due to health and safety protocols, but it was good to have him back on the court and contributing for that bench unit. Um, You know, he had eight points, three rebounds, and two blocks in 16 minutes, shot three for four from the field, and made both both of his three-pointers, so um, he was definitely missed. And it was good to see him back on the floor. And that same game marked Torrey Craig's debut. Um, He just came over in a trade from the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, The Suns kind of snuck in there and uh, landed him as part of that P.J. Tucker deal um, because the Bucks needed to clear out a little bit of cap room to make that work so they weren't hard capped. Um, And Craig was fine. He had two points, one rebound in seven minutes. He didn't play that much. He made his one shot on a nice cut that – it was either, I think it was Mikhail Bridges found him on that cut, but uh, yeah. And he, he looked like he made some smart, competent defensive plays. So it'll be interesting to see how many minutes he gets moving forward, but he is another large, long wing that can defend multiple positions. So it was good to see him get some action in uh, his first game with the team really. But uh, with the trade deadline being on Thursday, we can't spend too much time talking about anything other than trade season and what kind of trades we can expect from the Suns heading into Thursday. Um, and there are a number of things that we should touch on when it comes to this topic, because 
the Suns haven't been mentioned in any concrete trade rumors so far, uh, but don't let that fool you. That's kind of been par for the course under general manager James Jones. He doesn't usually tip his hand and things don't usually link, link excuse me, leak from the sun side of things. Um, so that's, that's pretty standard. We should also note that the Suns don't need to make a move. They're second in the West. They have, you know, we've gone over this multiple times, but they have one of the NBA's best point differentials. Um, they are solidly set to contend in the West, no matter who's healthy or who's hurt. Um, you know, talking about like the Lakers missing a couple guys right now, the Clippers haven't been, you know, quite what we expected from them. But no matter what, the Suns can contend at full strength in the West and, and for a championship this year. With that being said, because that is the case, this is the year that the Suns should try to make a move of some sort to go all in on this core in the year that feels pretty wide open, especially in the wake of LeBron and Anthony Davis's injuries. Um, you know, I, I think both of them will be fine come playoff time. That's why the Lakers are holding them out now. Um, and aside from the fact that they're hurt, but they are, they have long-term goals in mind. So I think by the time the playoffs roll around, the Lakers will be good. The Clippers will be rounding into form. The Jazz have been pretty consistently good throughout, even if they haven't been quite as dominant in the last uh, month or so. But if the Suns are even in a position to be close to competing for a championship, a franchise that's never won a championship, a franchise that has been trying to prove to Devin Booker that it wants to win as badly as he does, a franchise that who knows how many more years it's going to get quality play like this out of Chris Paul. I think you can very much make the case that, you know, Chris Paul isn't getting younger. Devin Booker has been waiting years to win. And now that he has a chance to do so at a very high level, you need to go all in on that. Um, and we'll discuss a couple of different trades that the Suns can go about to accomplish that goal but you don't just stand pat with depth and, and wait for the future just because Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Mikael Bridges and all these other guys are young. You don't, you know, make some stupid all-in now decision that winds up looking short-sighted. But if you can find a way to preserve most of this team's depth and its core and make it stronger for a championship run, then I think you'd be, you wouldn't be doing your due diligence if you didn't at least look into it. So we're going to go through a couple of trade targets that might fit the bill. Um, and a couple of those we'll mention are minor trades that would just kind of batten down the hatches and address some areas of weakness for a postseason run rather than this kind of all in now, uh, you know, win now kind of move that I'm talking about here. So we'll start with one of the more minor trade targets that I brought up before. Um, but this is JaVale McGee. He is on a $4.2 million expiring contract and a deal of like Javon Carter or Etwan Moore and Abdul Nader together, or, you know, Jalen Smith, um, or you could do Etwan Moore and Langston Galloway. There are a lot of contracts that can make it work because JaVale McGee's salary is so minimal. Um, but any one of those works. And that's a guy that, you know, if you're not comfortable with, Dario Saric in a particular matchup as far as him being outsized coming off the bench against whatever the team's backup five is. Um, you can get a guy like JaVale McGee who is long, who is tall and who can block shots. That's the one thing that the Sun's second unit doesn't really have is someone who can uh, protect the rim. 
uh, in, a, in an above the rim kind of way. Uh, this year, McGee is averaging 7.7 points, five rebounds, and 1.2 blocks in only 15 minutes per game, which is pretty good. He's only shooting like 52% from the field, but he's a proven playoff contributor, and he's able to do so, most importantly, in very limited minutes. So he wouldn't usurp Dario's role as that backup five, but they could turn to him uh, in spot minutes if they need, you know, foul trouble, somebody gets injured, if there's just an unfavorable matchup to Dario or to DeAndre Ayton. They have another guy with size that can block shots, um, and, and he can play as needed. You wouldn't need a ton from him. Um, and he's also a guy that if he somehow gets bought out by the Cleveland Cavaliers, that's a buyout candidate as well even though the Suns roster is currently uh, full in that regard Um, another guy who could be useful in that same kind of third string big role at the five is Aaron Baines who (laughs) was the Suns fan favorite he is only making seven million dollars in salary so it wouldn't be too hard to put together the salary to trade for him He does have a year and $7.4 million uh, that's non-guaranteed for next year. Um, And he could be a buyout candidate as well because the Raptors, I think they've lost nine straight after Monday night. um, And they could very well look into blowing it up. But, uh, you know, if they don't buy him out a deal of Javon Carter and Abdul Nader or just Jalen Smith straight up works for Aaron Baines. I don't know if you want to give up Jalen Smith just yet for a guy like Baines who is older and has not looked great for most of this season in Toronto. Um, But I think he would do a lot better back in a system where he thrived and had one of the best seasons of his career. Um, You know, when he was here, he averaged, what was it? 11.5 points per game, which was a career best 5.6 rebounds. Um, and he shot 48% from the field and a career best 35% on threes on a career high four three point attempts per game. So he put together pretty much in almost every regard, a career season in Phoenix. Um, and he hasn't had that same success in Toronto. He's down to like six points and under six rebounds in, uh, like 19 minutes per game. He's only shooting 42% from the field and his three point, uh, percentage has kind of plummeted off a cliff. So, you know, maybe you don't give up a number 10 overall pick, but then again, based on what we've seen with Monty's rotations, if Jalen Smith still isn't getting minutes at this point, uh, he's not ready. And that's not to say he won't ever be ready, but it's already kind of looking like Jalen Smith has a long way to go before he's ready to be an NBA contributor. And again, we don't want to give up on the kid when he's only had, you know, half of a rookie season and he missed time in that rookie season. But, uh, you know, it's something to keep in mind, even if it's not Jalen Smith, Aaron Baines is another guy that the Suns could target if they want to find that kind of third string big to uh, hold down the rotation. And the last guy in that category is another former Sun and another former Suns fan favorite, Rashawn Holmes, who is playing lights out for the Sacramento Kings this year. Um, He's only got uh, he's only on a five million dollars contract and that's an expiring deal. Um, so Jalen Smith for him works straight up as well. He's averaging a career high 14 points, 8.6 rebounds and 1.6 blocks per game. He started all 38 of his games for the Kings, um, heading into Thursday's action and he's shooting 64.4% from the field. Now, you know, Suns fans are familiar with the energy that he brought 
Um, and he would definitely bolster the front court with another option in on the nights where the Suns just kind of need more athleticism at that backup five spot. But honestly, he might be playing too well right now to be relegated to that kind of third string big man duty that the Suns would want him to embody. Um, he's been great as a starter for the Kings. He's probably not, he's not the starter on a playoff caliber team or a contender like Phoenix is, but it'd be hard to kind of get him to embrace that lesser role, especially with the way that he's blossomed in Sacramento. You know, if the Kings decide to trade him, that might not be his choice anymore, but, and I think he would like to be back in Phoenix, especially on a much better Phoenix team than the one that he played on, but just something to keep in mind, he might actually be too good for that role right now. Um, so just something to keep in the back of our minds there when we're talking about Rashawn Holmes. Um, let's turn our attention though, to the backcourt. Now, I personally think the Suns are set with campaign and I think each one more is a really good third string piece. If anything happens to campaign, we saw him step up and fill in with pain out and even with pain back in, um, he's had some rough patches as well, but so has pain. Uh, even though he's been one of the best backup point guards in the NBA this season. Um, but if you're not trusting him and his very limited playoff experience back in the day with Oklahoma City Thunder to carry over in a postseason series, then there are a couple guys you could target. Um, one is a guy that doesn't have a lot of postseason experience either, but he's a starting caliber guard in this league, and that's Devontae Graham. Um I don't know if the Charlotte Hornets would be even willing to listen to offers for Graham, but it does kind of feel like with LaMelo ball looking like the future Graham's role in that future might be a little bit murkier than before. And I say that because Terry Rozier has also been very good for the Hornets and maybe they like all three of these guys. Um, but Graham's numbers are obviously a bit down this season. Um, so it's kind of hard to place that. So it might be something where you do a little bit of due diligence and check on what his price might be. Um, you know, he's only making $1.7 million in salary this season, and then he'll be a restricted free agent with a $4.7 million qualifying offer this summer. Um, but, you know, would Javon Carter and a first round pick get the job done for Devonte Graham? I'm not sure. You know, the Hornets would probably need another uh, guard with Graham leaving and Carter is a bulldog. He's a guy that can contribute, but he wouldn't need to uh, command as many minutes as, you know, Graham would. And that would free things up for that Rosier LaMelo ball backcourt to kind of blossom. And you throw in a first round pick on top of that, that's pretty good compensation for a guy that's whose averages are down to like 13 points and five assists per game and 30 minutes per game this season. Um, you know, he's only shooting 36% from the field. Uh, he's shooting 36% from three, which is good on like nearly eight attempts per game, but it kind of feels like his value is down a little bit because of how good LaMelo ball is. Um, you know, balls season ending injury kind of throws a wrench into that equation. So maybe the Hornets would prefer to hold on to him and see if he kind of bounces back with LaMelo ball out. But the fact still remains LaMelo ball is the future of the Charlotte Hornets. And that puts Devonte Graham's future there into doubt. Um, so another one, and, you know, to be fair with Devontae Graham, we're throwing Javon Carter in there because his $1.7 million contract is kind of hard to trade for, Devontae Graham's is, um, without it being some kind of low-end salary filler and a first-rounder. So maybe the Hornets don't want Javon Carter, 
but for some reason they want Abdul Nader, that works. Langston Galloway, that works too. Um, so it's one of those low-end salary guys on the Suns roster that would be heading to Charlotte, and the main piece that would be attractive for the Hornets would be a first-round pick of some sort, even if it's protected. Um, also in the guard category, this is a name that's come up a lot. It came up in free agency for the Suns as well. Um, that's George Hill. He is making $9.6 million. He's got one year and about $10 million uh, non-guaranteed for next season. Um, and a trade of Jalen Smith and Javon Carter works here. Um, he's averaging just under 12 points and three assists per game uh, in only 26 minutes per game. He's shooting really well from the floor. It's like 51% from the field, almost 39% from three on like four attempts per game. And he would be a really terrific experience compliment in the backcourt. Um, and the best thing about George Hill is that he can play off the bench and he can also play, you know, the way that the Suns stagger Chris Paul and Devin Booker, he could play with either one of those in either guard spot. Like he's a good off ball shooter. He can create with the ball in his hand. He can create off the dribble um, and attack and he's a good defender. So he really would fit a lot of needs for the Suns you tr want to try to avoid doing business with Sam Presti, but as we've seen from some of his recent deals, um, you know, he's not always going to get a first round pick. So, you know, maybe he'll try to hold out for one with George Hill and maybe there's a contender that's desperate enough to throw one on the table. I don't know if he's worth a first round pick at this point, but you know, for a team like the Thunder, maybe getting a guy like Jalen Smith, another and Javon Carter to kind of, not, I don't want to say projects, but two guys that might thrive with the way that their developmental system is really good. Um, you know, that might be an interesting return for them and it might be enough to get George Hill and Phoenix. So that way the Suns aren't relying on someone who doesn't have as much playoff experience like campaign in that backup point guard role. Um, now let's shift our attention to kind of the elephant in the room with the Suns and that's been their starting four spot. Um, you know, Jay Crowder is the guy that you want to be starting there, but the net rating for those lineups still isn't good. And Frank Kaminsky isn't the answer. Maybe sliding Dario Sharch into that four spot is good, but then it takes away one of the sun's best weapons, which is, you know, him in that backup five role. So if there's a trade out there that can bring in a starting caliber four that would make more sense with this group, I feel like the sun should at least, you know, ponder it, explore it. Um, and one guy that could fit the bill, even though he's a little bit older, is Thaddeus Young. Uh, he's making $13.5 million this season, and then he's got one year and $14.2 million remaining for next year, which is non-guaranteed. Um, an offer of Jalen Smith, Javon Carter, and Abdul Nader gets the job done financially there. Maybe the Bulls want more, but I feel like, you know, Jalen Smith is kind of the I feel like that's fair compensation. Maybe throw in a second round pick or two. I don't think you get to first round territory with Thaddeus Young at this point. Um, but he's averaging 12 points and 6.4 rebounds per game, as well as a career high 4.5 assists per game, which is a big draw for a team like the Suns that relies on quick decision making and passing within that 0.5 offense. I feel like Thaddeus Young would be pretty good in that regard. Um, and he's shooting nearly 60% from the field, which is great. The only bad thing about Thaddeus Young, aside from maybe the Bulls would want more for him, is he's only shooting like 26% from three 
on 0.6 attempts per game. So he doesn't shoot a lot of threes and he doesn't make the ones that he shoots anyway. Um, So he's not much of a floor spacer, which could cramp the team's offense a little bit, because if you think about how many of their lineups, you know, even if it's Kaminsky or Jay Crowder, those guys can shoot threes. Thaddeus Young can't. So he's a really good defender, um, an underrated passer at this stage. And he's a very good kind of Swiss army knife kind of guy. Um, but he's not perfect by any means either. So a couple of things to keep in mind with Thaddeus Young. Uh, Another name that's been tossed around, not just in conjunction with the Suns, but with a lot of teams is Harrison Barnes, just because the Kings are bad again. So he's, he could be very much up for grabs, even though the Kings know that he has value right now. Um, He's making $22.2 million in salary this year, which would be hard to match. Um, and we should also bear in mind that he's got two years and like $38.6 million remaining after this season. So this would be quite an investment for any team that wants to trade for him. Um, this would be kind of hedging your bets here because you just signed Jay Crowder to a three-year $30 million deal, and you'd essentially have to give up on him to make this Harrison Barnes deal happen. So it'd be Jay Crowder, Javon Carter, and Jalen Smith heading to the Kings for Harrison Barnes. Um, to be fair, Barnes is having a, a, one of the best years of his career, if not the best. He's averaging 16.4 points, 6.4 rebounds, and 3.6 assists per game. Um, he's shooting just under 50% from the field and 37% from three, and that's on four attempts per game. Um, and he could be the guy that solves the Sun starting five problem, slide him into that, that starting four role that Jay Crowder has filled but has not for whatever reason, that unit has not been cohesive. Um, but he could also just not be the upgrade that the Suns were expecting, especially mid-season. There's a chance that that could throw off the chemistry a little bit. Um, he's still only 28 years old, and he's got two years left on his deal. So it's not like this would be some horrible move, but it is. it does come with a little bit of baggage in terms of his salary and the fact that if he doesn't work out, Um, then you basically just signed and traded away Jay Crowder, a respected veteran, a guy that Chris Paul likes, a guy that is well-liked on this team for a younger Harrison Barnes, who is kind of famous for letting down the greatest Warriors team of all time in the finals. So I don't know. Um, He does have playoff experience, which is good at least. Um, Another name that has come up with the Suns for years now, and it's easy to see why with the U of A connection, is Aaron Gordon. Um, he makes $18 million in salary this year. He's got one year and 16.4 million remaining on his contract after this year. Um, again, you'd be giving up Jay Crowder to make this deal happen from a financial standpoint. So it'd be Crowder, Jalen Smith, Javon Carter, and probably a first rounder for Aaron Gordon. Um, just because the latest reports are that the magic want a young player and two first round picks for Aaron Gordon. They're not going to get that. I'm sorry, like unless there's a really desperate team. Um, that's definitely the magic putting out, uh, you know, starting the bidding high and then being willing to come down because no one, no one in their right minds should give up two first rounders for Aaron Gordon right now, even if he's having a pretty good season and is a good defender. Um, he's not worth two first round picks and a young player. I'm sorry, he's just not. Like the dude couldn't even win a slam dunk contest. Like, come on, what are we talking about here? Um, but no, in all seriousness, he's averaging 14.7 points, 6.8 rebounds and 4.2 assists per game this season. 
shooting 44% from the field and a career high 40.2% from three point range on like four and a half attempts per game. So he's having a very good season. He's a good defender. Again, maybe he's the guy that fixes the sun starting five problems. If you slide him into that, that four role where he's been best throughout his career, it's very clear that a change of scenery is probably in his best interest. Orlando just hasn't been able to use him correctly. And then they drafted a bunch of guys whose best position are also the same position that he's best at. So it hasn't been a good fit for player or for team. Um, they're trying to kind of start the bidding high. It's not going to get that high, um, especially for a guy that's only played like 23 games this year due to injury and has had multiple nagging injuries throughout his career. Um, he's only been back for four games, but he's dropped 38 in I think his third game back. So he looks like he's ready. As long as he's healthy, he could help the Suns. But again, you'd have to give up a, a pretty sizable package to get the job done um, and, you know, unite two Arizona Wildcats on the Suns between Aaron Gordon and DeAndre Ayton. Um, another guy at the four spot that we should talk about is John Collins. Um, this is one that Greg Esposito mentioned when he was on the show a few weeks back talking about how the Suns should go all in with a big move. Um, I wasn't convinced at the time that the Suns were going to stay this good and that they should go all in. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of there now, especially if the Atlanta Hawks are dumb enough to get rid of a guy who has been great for them. They've been one of the hottest teams in the league, and John Collins is a big part of that reason. Um, he only makes $4.1 million in salary. So matching salary with a player that they would want um, might be tricky there because most of the Suns contracts in that range are not guys that are that attractive to Atlanta probably. Um, but, you know, the, the thing about Collins is he's heading towards restricted free agency. He's got that $7.7 million qualifying offer. That makes things complicated for when it's time to extend Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton soon. And I don't know if DeAndre Ayton and John Collins would even be a good defensive duo in that front court. But, uh, you know, he would give Devin Booker and Chris Paul yet another lob threat on those alley-oops. And he's pretty respectable from three-point range, so he can spread the floor in that small ball four role. Um, for this one, Cam Johnson and a first-round pick would probably be the price. And that's where things get tricky because – the Suns love Cam Johnson. He is a great shooter and he's, he could very well be the small ball four of the future for the Suns. Um, as far as, you know, Devin Booker, a point guard, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson and DeAndre Ayton. That's like the Suns ideal vision for the future is those guys all being playoff competitors and, and building on all the flashes they've shown throughout their first couple of years in the league. But you know, John Collins is really damn good too. And he's really young as well. Um, Collins is averaging 18 points, just under eight rebounds and 1.1 blocks per game. He's shooting 54% from the field and just under 38% from three. And that's on three and a half attempts per game. So Collins is a very good player. He's athletic. The defense is a little bit problematic, especially alongside Ayton. But, uh, you know, that is something to consider if the Hawks are actually making this guy available in the middle of their run up the Eastern Conference standings. Um, and now before we wrap up trade talk, we've got to talk about two targets that DeAndre Ayton fans are not going to be happy with me for even bringing these up. 
But again, we have to do our due diligence here. I'm not saying the Suns should make any of these trades. I'm just throwing these ideas out here um, because that's what trade season is all about. These hypotheticals are fun. And we also get to play around with a couple of ideas and see who might be in the Suns range and for what price. So bearing that in mind, the first one, these are both targets that would essentially replace DeAndre Ayton as the Suns starting center. And the first one is Miles Turner. And this is what this is kind of an iffy one for me because Turner is the better defender. You know, he's the league's leading shot blocker at 3.4 blocks per game. He's not a great rebounder, though. He's only averaging 6.5 rebounds, which is kind of pitiful for a seven footer of his size. Um, but he also brings more floor spacing, theoretically at least, and the shot blocking. We can't ignore that because as much as DeAndre Ayton has improved defensively, it's starting to feel like his progress on that end has become a touch overrated. Um, because if you look at the advanced numbers, the Suns' defense is still better with him off the floor, and he's got one of the worst defensive ratings on the team. And I know defensive rating is a kind of muddled stat, but it's still something to bear in mind. Um, and the Suns you know, there have been games already that we've seen where DeAndre Ayton isn't getting fourth quarter minutes because he can't stay on the floor. Turner would stand a better chance of doing that as a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. Um, and a guy who has been a candidate for that award last year as well. So he has, uh, he makes $18 million this year, and then he's got two years and $36 million remaining. So a deal of DeAndre Ayton and Jalen Smith could work or DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson might be what the Pacers ask for. I think if they try to throw in Cam Johnson, you say no. That's a little too much for Miles Turner, who might not necessarily be an upgrade over Ayton, even though he brings a different skill set that might fit the Suns a little bit better. Um, but yeah, he, the thing with Turner is you would hope his three-point shooting improves because he's theoretically a three-point shooter he's a small ball five who can space the floor but he's only shooting like 33 percent on threes this year on like four and a half attempts per game that's still more than what Aiton is contributing both in terms of percentage and output but um, it's not efficient necessarily either um, so the main draw here would be really tightening up the defense for a potential title run with a guy who can defend the rim and who doesn't make as many defensive state mistakes as DeAndre Ayton does, especially when you put him through multiple actions. Um, so that's one option. That's the defensive option. The offensive option is Nikola Vucevic. And the problem with Vucevic is he is a two-time all-star and the magic are going to hold firm on getting a good ransom for him if they're going to trade him at all. So he's making $26 million in salary, which would be tough for the Suns to match without blowing up the core, which would include Aiton here. Um, he's got two years and $46 million remaining. He's 30 years old, which is kind of troubling. But again, if you are looking at the Suns team and if you're looking at Chris Paul and saying, we don't know how many more years he's A, going to want to play here and B, going to be this good for us, um, this is the kind of all-in move that it might take to really bolster the Suns' chances of winning a title. Um, so an offer here might look like DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, Jalen Smith, and Javon Carter, and that is a lot to give up. It's a lot of depth. It's a lot of youth. It's two significant pieces of the Suns' young core 
and Jalen Smith, who is kind of this mystery box that Suns fans are hoping turns out to be something good. Um, but we can't ignore the upgrade on the offensive end that Vucevic would represent. Uh, he's averaging 24.6 points, 11.8 rebounds, 3.8 assists per game. He's shooting 48% from the field and four, nearly 41% from three on six and a half attempts per game. So he's not only a good interior big, a guy that you can run pick and rolls with, especially with Booker and CP3, but he's a guy that can space the floor and run pick and pops as well, which would open up a whole new dimension of the Suns offense that DeAndre Ayton currently just doesn't bring to the table. That's not a knock on Ayton. That's not to say he'll never get there. That's not to say he's worth giving up on necessarily, but it is worth keeping in mind that Vucevic would represent a significant upgrade on the offensive end and potentially not even that big of a downgrade on the defensive end. Because again, as we touched on, Aiton is good and he's getting better, but he's not great. And he's a little bit overrated in terms of, you know, he, he'll still make mistakes from time to time and teams have found ways to target him and, and potentially play him off the floor in a playoff series. Vucevic is a guy whose offense would at least counteract that if he is being, you know, targeted on the defensive end. Um, but yeah, those are, those are a couple of trades. I think with the magic one, with the Vucevic one, again, for Vucevic, Aaron Gordon, they wanted two firsts and a young player. For Vucevic, they want multiple firsts and young players, plural. So, I, you know, if DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson aren't enough and Jalen Smith, you know, you're not throwing a first rounder on top of that pile. That'd just be ridiculous. I honestly think DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, and Jalen Smith is enough there for Vucevic, especially for a Magic team that really needs to rebuild at this point um, and, and just commit to youth there. But, you know, who knows if that would be enough for the Magic? Who knows if the Suns would even consider that because you would be punting on the potential of two young players who could be a part of a championship core one day. Um, but again, I, I think it is worth pondering whether, you know, it's time to push the chips into the table now and really commit to a big three or even a big four of Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Mikhail Bridges, and Nikola Vucevic. That is a title contending team right there, especially in a year where the Lakers are kind of banged up right now. The Clippers have not looked dominant. Um, the Jazz, we've seen them fall apart in the playoffs before, no matter how dominant they've appeared in the regular season, and they do look dominant right now. Um, you know, the Nets, who knows if Kevin Durant will finally be able to play again. He's missed a lot of time. The Philadelphia 76ers have weaknesses. It, it's pretty wide open. The Suns could win a title this year if they make a big move. Vucevic could be that move. I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying the Suns should do it. And I'm definitely not saying the Suns should just give up on DeAndre Ayton and make a trade to make a trade. But it is something worth considering. Um, we're going to take a quick break and be right that be right back with our G rated segment on justice league right after this. All right. So now that we've talked about all kinds of different Suns trade targets and probably pissed off every DeAndre Ayton fan under the sun, uh, we're going to talk about Zack Snyder's justice league for our G rated segment. And, uh, the one thing that we can say about this movie for sure is that it's four fucking hours long. <laughs> like, it's it, it cracked me up like there's a part in the movie where the bad guy is saying so begins the end and it's like this segue into the the final confrontation that's going to happen between the superhero team up and this you know big bad 
and that moment comes like with an hour and 10 minutes left on the timer. <laughs> so begins the end. He says with a fucking hour left in the movie, um, the epilogue itself is like 25 minutes long. Um, but I will say for as long as it is, it's a much more coherent and entertaining movie than the theatrical cut. Like it's not even close. I actually enjoyed watching this movie and I have not enjoyed watching a DC movie in years. Like it's pretty much been uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. Like Wonder Woman was good. The first one, don't even get me started on the second one. Um, and Aquaman was decent and the rest have all been like garbage, but this one was actually good. It was actually a superhero team up that made sense. And the action scenes were well choreographed. Um, you know, maybe a little bit overdone because Zack Snyder loves to turn you know, 10 seconds of an action fight into like a three minute clip, but still like it was so much better. And I think the biggest thing for me was that the backstories and the character motivations were so much more um, just explained, I guess. Like he actually took the time to explain why each of these characters were in the positions that they were in, what their motivations were, for joining the team, for resisting the team at first. Um, in particular, Cyborg. I thought he had a really good backstory that just did not appear at all in the first version of the movie. And it was kind of heartbreaking what happened to him, how he got to the point that he got to, why his relationship with his father was so strained, how he overcame that, how he reconciled with that, and then it made it more devastating when he lost his father. Um, I thought that was just very well done and it gave a lot of these characters depth by just taking the time to explore what made them tick really. Um, I thought even Steppenwolf who was just kind of a generic, I mean, in the theatrical cut, just super generic, like unstoppable, boring bad guy. Um, at least in this one, it, it kind of made, it didn't make you like sympathize with him because he's just this CGI, like giant metal thing, but it, it at least explained why he was doing what he was doing and how he was trying to um, get into his master's good graces, basically uh, made him a little bit more pitiful um, than the theatrical cut for sure. So I, I felt like this, like snack, like Zack Snyder's version um really did a good job of, of making of fleshing out some of these characters and making them much more interesting than just, Hey, want to join our superhero team, which is really how the first one was. Um, and again, we should probably note that it took the time because it had all the time because it was four fucking hours long. <laughs> but, you know, if you think about it, like how many times have we just sat around on a Sunday watching four five, six hours worth of TV shows back to back to back. So you know, it's one that you want to break up into chunks. And it, I think there's like six parts to it that are divided up and then, and then there's an epilogue, but you know, if you can break this movie up into chunks and watch like two hours and then the last two hours or watch like two and a half hours, take a break, watch the last hour and a half. I, I really do think it's a very entertaining watch and worth watching, which is something I don't typically say about DC movies. Like, I am very much on the the train of Marvel is way better than DC at making these types of movies. Um, 
especially when it comes to injecting humor, because we'll get to the criticisms in a minute, but humor is just not DC's strong point when it comes to these films. Um, but I came into this movie fully expecting to hate it, and I didn't at all. Like, I actually really enjoyed it, um, despite the fact that it was a bit of a, a trudge um, just because it was so long. But uh, we, we should talk about some criticisms of the film as well because it's not perfect by any means. Um, and some people might watch it and not even like it just because the original image of, of that first Justice League is seared into their brain. And this is just kind of a longer version of it. But I really do think that it was so much better than the first. Um, but again, not perfect. The biggest things for me were A, their attempts at comedic relief with the flash were just painful. Like the flash is not funny. I'm sorry. He's just not funny. Um, and most of his jokes were just really bad or just like cringeworthy. Um, they just missed the mark on most of those jokes. Um, and that's too bad because it's, it's nothing against the actor who plays him. I actually kind of like that dude, but the flash their character the script whatever it is with him is just not funny so just stop trying or try harder i don't know <laughs> either way make the flash funny because he's currently not um and the second thing for me is uh, i feel bad about this because a lot of people were praising you know this interaction between batman and the joker is like one of the best that we've seen on screen in any dc movie and I'm going to stop you right there because I cannot take Jared Leto's Joker seriously. I don't like it. It sucks. Like he's just not a good Joker. It just doesn't do anything for me. And you know, the three minutes of screen time that he had in this, and it wasn't even a real interaction. It was all a dream for Batman. Spoiler alert. I, I can't like I thought some of the dialogue there was very good the way that he kind of threw Robin's death in Batman's face the way he threw Lois Lane's supposed death because again this is a dream and we'll touch on the Lois Lane death stuff in a little bit but he threw that in his face and then Batman comes back with you know throwing Harley Quinn in the Joker's face um and then he basically says, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Batman does drop an F-bomb in this movie, which is kind of cool. Um, and he also threatens to kill the Joker, which is kind of cool, but also, again, goes against Batman's whole ethos. So I think it was meant to be a moment like, oh, shit, he's going against everything he stands for. So this must be serious. But I, again, it was a dream. And I just I can't buy into Jared Leto's Joker. Um, I actually didn't mind Ben Affleck as Batman, at least in this movie, Batman versus Superman. That's another story. Um, and a lot of people, I guess, felt the same way because he dropped out of the next Batman project. But um, yeah, I don't know. It was, I, I still just am not buying Jared Leto as a Joker. I think we've already seen the best Joker, obviously with Heath Ledger, and we'll never see that one again. And I hate to keep comparing everything to that. Um, but yeah, like when you're miles off of like Joaquin Phoenix, who was great in Joker, his kind of cartoony over the top acting is just, it's just not a good fit. Um, and I just don't like it. So maybe that's just me, but, and I'm not trying to, you know, rain on anybody's parade if they really enjoyed that Batman Joker interaction, but as good as I thought the dialogue was there, 
just every time Jared Leto started laughing as the Joker, I was just like, this is stupid. Like his Joker sucks, man. It's just not good. <laughs> um, and it's too bad that I, I think we should make a point of this, that Zack Snyder is not going to get to kind of carry out his vision for these Justice League movies. Um, because I was reading into what kind of vision he had planned and he basically spoiled everything that he had planned. Um, and, you know, in the, in the epilogue, we see Lex Luthor and Deathstroke kind of hook up. Lex Luthor tells Deathstroke, um, who is a really good Batman villain, um, if you've ever read the comics or, you know, played one of those Arkham City games, Deathstroke is a really cool villain. But uh, Lex Luthor basically tells Deathstroke that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Um, and Zack Snyder had this whole plan laid out where the next Batman movie would be basically Batman versus Deathstroke. That would be the whole thing. But then Ben Affleck pulled out of that project. So they kind of, you know, nixed it. And then in the next Justice League movie, Lex Luthor would basically provide the intel to Darkseid um, that, you know, if you want to conquer this world or whatever, you need to defeat Superman. And the key to doing that is killing Lois Lane. So he gives Darkseid the intel to go after Lois Lane. Superman is plotting to intercept Darkseid um, and leaves Batman in charge of protecting Lois Lane. And for whatever reason, Batman fails in that task, which leads to Superman basically going to dark side, literally and figuratively going to the dark side. Because um, there are these visions that are in this Justice League as well that Batman has these dreams of, you know, uh, dark side comforting Superman while he's, you know, holding this charred body, which is supposedly Lois Lane. Um, you know, this apocalypse apocalyptic wasteland where they're like trying to hide from Superman and terrified that he'll find out where they are. Um, you know, having to enlist the Joker's help at all. Um, you know, Wonder Woman being burned on a pyre, Aquaman being like brutally speared with his own trident by Darkseid. Um, you know, all of that is interconnected in this alternate reality. Um, and, you know, they're able to eventually turn back to the regular reality by using Flash's speed because he mentions in the movie that when he goes too fast, it like causes ripples in time or messes with time. So the whole idea would be they use Flash's speed to do that again using the mother box's help. Um, so that would basically be how they go back in time. And apparently Batman would sacrifice himself for Lois Lane after getting a second chance and he would die in that movie and then uh, apparently Superman and Lois Lane's child would then grow up to be the next Batman. Um, and they would, you know, name him after Bruce and they would call him, you know, his uncle Bruce and whatever. Um, but that seemed like a pretty cool outline for a movie and then the type of stuff that would compete with Marvel. And we need some competition for Marvel because as much as I love Marvel and all of its superheroes, like it has been depressing that, DC, which has all these great superheroes and all these great villains, has not been able to get its act together. So it was nice to see the Zack Snyder cut where things at least made a little bit more sense and the heroes and villains alike were more compelling. Um, and, and it was good, even if it was four hours long, it was good to see them kind of deliver on some of these concepts that should be so easy to capitalize on. Like there's a wealth of material in both of these comic book series. Like 
you should be able to put a coherent movie together. Um, they need to get a little bit better with the comedic relief, like I said, um, because a lot of these DC movies are way darker than Marvel and you need kind of that levity to balance things out. And I'm sorry, but Flash just isn't cutting it, nor is Jared Leto's unintentional comedy of Joker's performance, but you know, it is what it is. And I, I really did enjoy this movie, even with its faults, even with the fact that the theatrical cut is so bad. Um, I'm going to give this version of the movie for my G rating an eight out of 10, which is pretty good. I don't give out a lot of eights on this show, um, given out a couple of nines, but those were two, two movies that were really tremendous. Um, so I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, I would be interested to hear your guys' thoughts on this because I know I'm not alone in being a big fan of these superhero movies. And I'm sure a lot of us went into this justice league fully expecting to hate it. I hope that like, like I did, you also were impressed and surprised with how good it actually was. Um, and for our next G rated segment, we will be talking about the season two finale of servant, which is a very weird and kind of creepy show on Apple TV. Not a lot of people have seen it, um, but it's, I think it's produced by M night Shyamalan uh, it's kind of a head fuck, but it's really good and it's worth checking out. And season two just wrapped up last Friday, but because of, you know, Justice League and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we had to push this one back a little bit. So we'll be talking about Servant on the next episode of the pod and, and wrapping up what the Suns and the rest of the league did on, uh, on Thursday's trade deadline. So that next episode will be coming on Friday. But uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Thank you all for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and write me a review, uh, leaving me a couple of shows or movies that you've watched recently that uh, you would like to hear me talk about. But until next time, this is Gerald Borgay signing off.